Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take, whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality. It can be hard just to know where to start, but now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The following program is a production of Chilling Entertainment and the creative team at Chilling Tales for Dark Nights and a proud member of the Simply Scary Podcast Network. Visit simplyscarypodcast.com to learn more about this and our other weekly storytelling programs and become a patron today to show your support and get instant access to our extensive archive of downloadable ad-free tales of terror. Thank you for listening. And enjoy the show. Disclaimer. Horror Hill is a horror anthology podcast bringing you scary stories from all corners of the internet and beyond. As such, 
Certain stories include content that some listeners might find offensive. Listener discretion is advised. Well, hello there, listeners, and welcome back to Horror Hill. I'm your host, Eric Peabody, and we're going to be doing a double feature this evening with two stories that focus on the wonderful innocence of childhood. Children are such lovely, untainted souls, full of hope and kindness. And if you believe that, I've got a really nice bridge that I'd like to sell to you. We'll be opening with Winnie No Words by Pumpkin Powder. Thirteen-year-old Winnie is a sweet child with a loving family and with nonverbal autism. As you can expect, this has led to her getting more than her fair share of bullying at school. As Halloween draws near and Winnie works on her costume, she receives an invitation to go to a party with some classmates. Not only is this the first party that she's ever been invited to, but the host is one of the most infamous bullies in her class. Seeing as how this is a horror story podcast, I think it's safe to assume that Winnie is going to have a great time and that nothing horrible will befall anyone involved. After that, we'll be closing out the evening with Ghost in the Graveyard by Bill Dorsch. In this story, our young narrator has just moved to the town of Garnet's Pass. Due to his father's work, relocations are frequent, and he's excited that, for once, he gets to spend a whole summer in the same place. After meeting some other local kids, he starts playing a game called Ghost in the Graveyard with them. What begins innocently enough eventually turns into a nightmare for our young protagonist. You're listening to the standard edition of this program. If you'd like to help support Horror Hill and also remove these pesky ads, head over to ChillingTalesForDarkNights.com and click Patrons in the upper menu to sign up today. You'll get instant access to hundreds of ad-free stories, and we can scale back some of our uh, less savory means of generating money for the show. By the way, you don't happen to still have all of your organs, do you? And now, from author Pumpkin Powder, I give you Winnie No Words. The house stood ominously on the corner of the street shrouded in darkness. Laughter and the faint sound of music drifted through the air, mingling with the chilling autumn breeze. A group of kids gathered in a circle, their eyes filled with mischief and whispered hushed conspiracies. October 31st, 1977. The gentle rays of the early morning sun peered through Winnie's bedroom window, painting the room a soft glow. Stirring from her sleep, she blinked her green eyes open and looked up at her father, who stood beside her bed. With a warm smile, he gently nudged her shoulder and whispered, Rise and shine, my little pumpkin. It's time for school. Winnie's eyes widened with excitement as she remembered that today was Halloween. 
While most kids eagerly anticipated dressing up in their elaborate costumes, Winnie's unfinished outfit lay abandoned on her bedroom floor. With a touch of disappointment, she mustered a hopeful smile and clutched her father's hand tightly. Are you ready, sweetheart? Her father asked, a hint of worry in his voice. He knew how much Winnie had been looking forward to wearing her own handmade creation. Winnie Hill, a nonverbal 13-year-old girl, gazed up at her father with quiet determination in her eyes. Though she couldn't use spoken words to express herself, her heart overflowed with unspoken words and emotions. Her father understood this silent language better than anyone. Don't worry, my little star, he reassured her, his eyes twinkling with affection. I promise we'll finish your costume when you come back from school. He ruffled her short, black hair. Winnie clasped her hands together, a mixture of excitement and gratitude bubbling within her. Their bond between father and daughter was built on unwavering love and unspoken understanding. Get dressed and come downstairs. Your breakfast is waiting for you. He winked. Sliding out of her warm bed, she nodded and made her way to her closet. Morning, sweetheart. Her grandmother's voice was gentle and soothing, like a creek murmuring in the early dawn. We made your favorite pancakes. Winnie's eyes lit up, a spark of excitement igniting within her. She took her place at the table, her small hands trembling with anticipation. As she savored each bite, a small hint of apprehension lingered in the air. The familiar knot of anxiety tightened in Emma's chest knowing what awaited Winnie outside the safety of their home. Each day, at a school that failed to understand the beauty and complexity that resided within her granddaughter, Winnie faced a gauntlet of bullies. They saw her silence as an invitation to torment and scorn, a vulnerability to exploit. But today was a special day, a day of enchantment and possibility. Her father chuckled to himself as he watched his daughter devour the plate. She hurriedly put on her coat and boots and kissed her grandmother goodbye. Have a nice day, hon. As the dawn of Halloween painted the sky with hues of orange and gold, Winnie nestled herself in the back seat of her father's car. Her green backpack was adorned with cute stickers. Her small hands clutched her favorite sensory toy, and her bright eyes were filled with anticipation for the day ahead. Her father, a tall figure with worry lines etched on his weary face, took the driver's seat. His heart was heavy with concern, for each day he watched his precious daughter struggle under the weight of being different. Ready? he asked, his voice laced with a melancholic tone. Winnie smiled, a silent joy illuminating her face. She nodded vigorously, offering her father a glimpse into her world of unspoken wonders. I hope today's a good day, he whispered, casting a longing glance at his daughter through the rearview mirror. I worry about you, Winnie, about the bullies. Winnie's fingers reached out to brush against her father's hand, a gentle reassurance that touched his soul. Yet, even through her limited words, she couldn't quell the storm of emotions that raged within her. The world outside seemed cruel and unyielding, but as long as her father was there, she found solace. 
Mark started the engine and drove them to school. Through the misty windshield of his battered station wagon, Mark watched his daughter shuffle towards the imposing school building. Anxiety, no, guilt, gnawed at his gut as he clenched his hands around the steering wheel, his eyes fixated on every corner of the eerie parking lot. He hated those days. He hated the school system for doing as little as nothing to protect the kids from harm. But most importantly, he hated himself for not being able to transfer her to another school, anywhere else. Be careful, sweetheart, Mark called out, his voice filled with a blend of concern and desperation. He longed to protect her from the malicious whispers and mocking laughter that taunted her every day. Winnie smiled and waved at him, her silence a constant reminder of the invisible barriers that trapped her in her own world, impervious to the relentless bullying she endured. Her frame trembled beneath the weight of her backpack, cast aside like a forgotten safety net. Inside the car, the rumble of the engine mirrored the fear that churned in Mark's chest. He knew the ugliness that lurked behind those school walls, tearing at the fragile fabric of his daughter's spirit. The thought of leaving her in that lion's den filled him with an overwhelming sense of helplessness. As Winnie disappeared through the heavy wooden doors, Mark's heart clenched, searing anguish gripping his soul. Halloween decorations dangled from the doorways, their cheerful pretense a stark contrast to the darkness that shadowed his little girl's life. With a heavy sigh, he put the car in gear and drove away. Mom, I don't know what to do anymore. Those bullies at Winnie's school, they're making her life a living nightmare. Emma's brows furrowed as she tightened her shawl around her frail frame. Oh, Mark... My heart breaks for her. Our sweet Winnie deserves so much better. Have you talked to the school again? Surely they can do something this time. Mark shook his head, his eyes filled with frustration. I've tried every fucking time, but they say they're doing all they can. I don't believe them. They're full of shit and they don't understand the pain she endures day after day. She can't even tell us. She speaks through her silence, and they see it as an opportunity to torment her. A gust of wind swept through the streets, rattling the leaves on the trees. She said nothing. Mark's voice quivered with a mix of anger and helplessness. I can't bear to watch her suffer anymore. We can't keep her at this school. I know there's nothing I can fucking do right now, but she deserves kindness and acceptance, damn it. Emma reached out, her trembling hand lightly resting on Mark's arm. We'll figure something out, Mark. I promise we'll find a way to protect Winnie and send her elsewhere, no matter what it takes. As the classroom clock inched closer to lunchtime, the atmosphere grew heavy with tense anticipation. The walls seemed to close in on the students, their whispers echoing through the dimly lit room. Dressed like a zombie, Tom, a brooding figure with a perpetual scowl, leaned back in his chair and sighed. He glanced at the clock, his dark eyes clouded with disdain. Is it lunchtime yet? He muttered, his voice tinged with impatience. The words dripped from his lips like bitter venom. 
Dressed like a cat, beside him sat his friend, Lily, a shy girl with an air of mystery. She fiddled with her pencil, her voice barely above a whisper as she replied, No, not yet. Just a few more minutes. Tom's scowl deepened, his frustration evident. I can't fucking take this anymore. This place is suffocating. Lily's eyes met his, and a flicker of understanding passed between them. I know what you mean, she whispered, her voice laced with melancholy. Sometimes it feels like we'll never escape this dull, oppressive place. Their words hung in the air, heavy with the weight of their shared discontent. The sound of distant footsteps echoed through the corridor, the promise of freedom growing louder with each passing second. Finally, the bell rang, piercing the stagnant air of the classroom. With a collective sigh of relief, the students hurriedly packed their bags, their steps growing lighter. The school cafeteria buzzed with the cacophony of students chattering and trays clattering against the hard surfaces. Amidst the chaos, three kids, Tom, Lily, and another kid named Marcus, gathered in a corner, an all-too-familiar malicious gleam in their eyes. "'I've got an idea,' Tom said, leaning in close. "'You know that kid, Winnie, with nonverbal autism in our class?' Marcus smirked. Winnie no words? Yeah, what about her? Tom's eyes sparkled with a twisted delight. Let's invite her to your Halloween party, right? Make her think she's finally accepted, you know? Marcus was a sight to behold, with a face that resembled an acne-ridden lunar landscape. His greasy, unkempt hair clung to his chubby cheeks, exacerbating the sinister aura that surrounded him. Sardonic smiles and piercing eyes gleaming with cruel intent were his trademarks. Marcus's lips curled into an evil grin. And then, right when she starts enjoying herself, we'll expose her to the most horrifying prank ever. That'll teach her to stay away from us. There's no place for freaks like her in this school. As they plotted their cruel scheme, the surrounding atmosphere seemed to darken. The noise of the cafeteria faded into an eerie silence, amplifying the sheer wickedness of their intentions while they ate. The room was filled with scattered fabrics, colorful threads, and the faint scent of sewing kits. Mark gently moved his calloused hands over the delicate lace trims, imagining the smile that would light up his daughter's face when she saw the completed masterpiece. Winnie had always adored clowns. Their vibrant costumes and playful antics captivated her. With unwavering determination, Mark painstakingly crafted a beautiful handmade clown dress, balancing just the right amount of detail and simplicity. Each stitch was infused with his love for his daughter, a silent declaration of his unwavering devotion to making her happy. As he added the final touches, a small jacket to keep Winnie warm in the chilly October air, a wistful smile tugged at the corners of Mark's lips. The dress and upper shirt, adorned with patches of vibrant colors, were a testament to his belief that even in the darkest of times, there was always room for joy and brightness. The final bell rang, signaling the end of another grueling day at school. 
The hallways emptied, filling the air with a palpable sense of relief. Outside, the autumn wind carried the faint scent of decaying leaves as ominous clouds rolled across the sky, casting a shadow over the small town. As students walked away from the school, there stood Marcus, whose wicked grin stretched across his face. In his hand, he clutched an invitation adorned with ghoulish imagery, patiently waiting for his target to walk out. As she resurfaced outside, Marcus approached Winnie with a dark glint in his eyes. Hey freak, I've got something for you, he sneered, thrusting the invitation toward her. Winnie looked at him with confusion, and as she took the invitation with delicate fingers and read it, a mix of worry and uncertainty coursed through her. Her gaze stayed fixed on him. Her dark brown eyes shimmered with wonder, but behind them lay a world of unspoken thoughts and unheard words. You're invited to my Halloween party, and you better be there, freak! Her heart sank, and her fingers were trembling. She had never been to a party before, let alone one thrown by the notorious bully himself. Was all this because the teachers finally took matters into their own hands? Had the teachers finally made him realize how awful he was? Was this his way of apologizing? Hope and trepidation intertwined within her soul. See you at seven. My address is on the back, Marcus said as he walked away, leaving her. She felt a glimmer of acceptance and belonging, and as he walked away, Marcus reveled in his power, believing himself to be a master of manipulation. Mark found himself parked in the dimly lit school parking lot. Each passing minute felt like an eternity as he anxiously awaited the arrival of his daughter. The iron gates of the school creaked open, revealing a swarm of costumed children chattering and running away. But she wasn't among them. Mark's heart sank as he scanned the crowd, his eyes darting with a mixture of concern and desperation. Finally, a figure emerged from the shadows, moving with an unsteady gait toward the car. Are you okay? Mark whispered, his voice filled with equal parts relief and trepidation. His daughter smiled, and she excitedly showed him the invitation with pure glee. His heart skipped a beat as he grabbed it and read it carefully. Holy shit. Grandma Emma's eyes locked on the invitation. A hint of anticipation lingered in the air. She choked back her surprise, her heart pounding with excitement. Winnie, she stammered. You've been invited to a Halloween party tonight. Winnie's eyes were brimming with delight. She clapped her hands in a soundless gesture of glee that seemed to fill the room. Grandma Emma watched the exchange, her body trembling with emotions held captive for too long. Her voice, raspy from disuse, finally broke through the silence with a noise of pure joy. Oh, my dear, this is marvelous. We must prepare you. The old woman's eyes locked with her sons for a moment, seeking approval. Mark, in return, looked at his mother with concern. Can I talk to you for a moment? She gazed at him with confusion for an instant, then sighed. Just a moment, hon. 
she told her granddaughter, kissing her cheek. I can't believe you can agree to this, Mom. His voice was filled with concern. Emma sighed, her face lined with understandable worry. I know, Mark, but it could be a good opportunity for her, a chance for her to socialize. We can't keep her sheltered forever. But these kids, Mom, they've made her life miserable for years. Inviting her to their party? This is... It's a trap. I can feel it. The woman held his gaze, her eyes filled with sadness. I know it's risky, but maybe this time will be different. Maybe they'll finally realize how wrong they've been. Mark shook his head, unable to shake off the nagging fear in his gut. She's non-verbal, Mom. They just don't see her as a person. To them, she's just an easy target. His mother's face tightened with determination. We won't know unless we give them a chance, Mark. We have to trust that some of them have changed. Reluctantly, he nodded, feeling a heaviness settle in his chest. All right, we'll let her go. But if anything happens, we'll never forgive ourselves. Winnie's finger traced the bumps of her knuckles as she waited patiently in the kitchen when she saw her father and grandmother re-emerge from the living room, and she watched as her father sat next to her at the kitchen table. You can go, he started, and her eyes lit up. But, he added, his voice was filled with authority. If anything happens, you call immediately, young lady, he said, patting her head. She shot up from her seat and laced her arms around her father in a tight embrace. And your father has a surprise for you after dinner, her grandma smiled. A few minutes later, after everyone had finished eating and cleaning, Winnie spotted her father leaning on the doorframe of the kitchen, his broad smile beaming as he held something behind his back. She jumped up from her seat and ran to him, her feet propelling her forward with infectious enthusiasm. As she reached him, her eyes widened with anticipation, searching for the surprise that had been promised. Her father, with a twinkle in his eye, took out a small, intricately designed bag from behind his back. He opened it slowly, revealing his masterpiece, the most exquisite handmade clown costume Winnie had ever seen. Her heart skipped a beat as she held her breath in awe, realizing that he had taken time out of his day to finalize her suit. The costume was a harmonious blend of orange, yellow, and green. The fabric was adorned with delicate lace and sequins. The hand-stitched details were precise and perfect, capturing the essence of a true clown. It was as if her father had poured his heart and soul into finishing the creation his daughter had previously worked on. Unable to contain her joy, Winnie's eyes brimmed with tears as she embraced her father tightly, conveying her gratitude and love in a silent, heartfelt exchange. Though she couldn't speak, her emotions spoke volumes. She signed a small, thank you, and with a warm smile, her father gently wiped away her tears and helped her into the costume. As Winnie stood before the mirror, she couldn't believe her reflection. The colorful suit was a sweet contrast to her dark hair. She was transformed, ready to step into the world of imagination and express her boundless spirit without uttering a word.
Now go on, my little adventurer, he said, guiding her towards the door. Face the world head on, just as you are. With a spring in her step and anticipation humming in her veins, she ventured out into the Halloween night. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take, whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality. It can be hard just to know where to start, but now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. The house stood ominously on the corner of the street, shrouded in darkness. Laughter and the faint sound of music drifted through the air, mingling with the chilling autumn breeze. She made her way up the stairs and anxiously knocked on the door. It felt like forever before someone opened it. Well, well, look who decided to grace us with her presence. Come in. Lily chuckled and stepped to one side, letting Winnie come in. Nice costume, by the way, but a mime would have been more ironic. Her words dripped with venom. Winnie surveyed the dimly lit room, filled with flickering candles and grotesque decorations. The air was thick with anticipation and a palpable sense of maliciousness. Look who finally decided to join us, the one and only Winnie Hill, sneered Marcus, the ringleader of the group. There he stood, tall and proud in his vampire costume. The other kids circled the girl like vultures, their eyes gleaming with mischief. Their costumes, once playful and innocent, now seemed to manifest the darkness that resided within their hearts. Winnie's heart pounded in her chest as she felt the weight of their collective stares. She kept her gaze firmly fixed on the ground, desperately trying to hide the vulnerability that threatened to overpower her. The room was overwhelming and suffocating, and she felt an impulse to get out. Why don't we all grab a drink before the party starts? After all, we've been waiting for you to start. Tom sneered, holding out a cup filled with noxious blue liquid. Join us. Don't be such a scared little freak. Her heart raced as she glanced at the cup, the liquid swirling ominously within it. A tremor ran through her body, but her desire to belong overwhelmed her fear. She reluctantly reached out and took the cup, her hands trembling. Come on, do it, egged Lily a cruel smirk twisting her features. Her heart pounded in her chest as Winnie reluctantly brought the cup to her lips. The liquid burned like fire, trailing down her throat with an acrid taste. Fear and uncertainty mingled in her eyes, unspoken questions begging for answers. Why did they make me drink? Winnie's mind screamed, the question echoing in the vast emptiness of her thoughts. 
she felt violated, as if her voicelessness had been weaponized against her. A shroud of darkness descended upon the room, emphasizing the girl's vulnerability. Marcus's face contorted into an insidious grin as he clapped Winnie on the back. Now the game begins, he declared, with a wicked gleam in his eyes. We're going to play hide-and-seek, Marcus announced. His gaze never shifted from hers. Like inside the house or what? Tom questioned. No, you dumb fuck, he yelled and pointed towards the window. Outside. Tom rolled his eyes and followed as the ringleader of their group led them all into the chilly October night. I'll be the seeker, Marcus said proudly. The grin he gave the mute girl was nothing short of terrifying. Tom and Lily wasted no time whatsoever, sprinting to their hiding spots. Their target trembled, her eyes darting around, searching for a hiding place that would grant her a moment of respite. As the countdown began, Winnie's heart pounded in her chest, adrenaline surging through her veins. She knew that this moment, this climax, would determine her fate. She couldn't bear to be caught and become their entertainment yet again. With every ounce of courage she possessed, she mustered her strength and slipped into the nearby forest, hoping the thick foliage would shield her from her pursuers. Nine, eight. The echoes of the taunting voices fueled the mute girl's determination as she stealthily maneuvered through the undergrowth, her senses heightened by fear and desperation. Twigs snapped beneath her trembling feet, their sharp cracks breaking the stillness of the eerie night. Her breath came in shallow gasps as she pushed deeper into the labyrinth of trees, her heart urging her forward. One! Ready or not, here I come! The seeker's voice cut through the dense air, a malicious glee evident in every syllable. Winnie clutched her mouth, suppressing the terrified whimper threatening to escape as she huddled behind a gnarled oak tree. She dared not move, not even an inch, for the seeker prowled nearby, his dark intentions clear in his piercing gaze. Winnie's breath came in shallow gasps, her eyes darting frantically as she tried to suppress the terror threatening to consume her. Her usually vibrant spirit had been quelled, drowned in a sea of primal fear as she was forced to confront the darkness that resided in her. Beams of moonlight streaked through the canopy, illuminating the seeker's predatory grin as he inched closer, his footsteps deliberate and calculated. He relished the power he held over her, his dark eyes gleaming with a twisted pleasure. Winnie clutched her chest, her fingers trembling against the fabric of her suit. Her mind raced, desperately searching for an escape route, but the forest offered no solace. The tangle of undergrowth seemed to thicken before her eyes, roots entwining as if conspiring against her. Panic clawed at her throat, threatening to rip free from her in a guttural scream. As the footsteps grew louder, Winnie pressed herself further against the trunk, praying that she wouldn't be discovered. She could almost feel his presence lurking just beyond her reach. The silence was suffocating, broken only by the sound of her rapid breaths. She crouched there for what felt like forever, 
Her mind raced as she tried her best to hear something, anything, but there was no sound. Her eyes widened in horror as she felt a hard push against her side and she stumbled backward. She looked up and the world swayed before her eyes, blurring their faces and transforming them into mocking masks. She stumbled backward, her legs suddenly weak and unsteady. Panic gripped her mind, suffocating her in a swirling vortex of fear and confusion. She didn't want to be here anymore. She wanted to get away. She wanted out. Her father was right when he told her that promises can be deceiving, smiles can hide evil, and laughter can mask cruelty. Hold her down, Marcus demanded, and watched as both his accomplices held the arms and legs of the girl before him. He watched with sickness and cruelty as she struggled on the ground. Winnie's heart sank when she saw him reach for something in a bag she hadn't previously noticed he had carried with him. Tears streamed down her face, erasing the triangle she had carefully painted. He held up a rock and held it right in her face, making damn sure she knew what was about to happen to freaks like her. He brought it up above his head, ready to thrust it into his target. Wait, I thought we were only going to bully her. Be for fucking real, Lily, Marcus barked at the girl who looked at him, uncertainty in her eyes. That's boring stuff. I want to do something more fun, like this. Winnie had no time to react as she felt the sharp pain of the rock crash against her ribcage. An audible crack was heard from the collision. She would have recoiled in pain if she hadn't been restrained. From deep within her emerged a guttural cry, a sound that was both mournful and piercing. Like a siren's wail, her pain reverberated through the surrounding landscape, drowning out all other sounds. What the fuck? Tom, caught off guard, covered his ears with trembling hands. Make her stop! Make her stop! Marcus brought the smooth, jagged rock up to his head once again and swung forward, the rock hurtling towards Winnie's unknowing skull. Lily and Tom stared in horror. Pandemonium erupted as the rock connected with a sickening thud, shattering bone and unleashing a torrent of searing pain. He hit her again and again, and he kept at it until the noises completely stopped. The world exploded into chaos. Electric currents surged through her body, and her vision contorted in a twisted dance of light and darkness. As she crumpled and twitched on the forest floor, her ragged breath shortened and slowed down. Her mind teetered on the precipice of consciousness, her fading awareness entangled with horror and disbelief. Blood seeped from the wound staining the forest floor as if nature itself mourned the tragedy that had unfolded within its ancient, guarded walls. The metallic stench of death mingled with the damp earth, blending into a grotesque symphony of decay. In the moments that followed, as her life force slipped away, a haunting realization settled upon her. She had been betrayed by trust her life extinguished by a nameless terror, and, as the forest whispered its secrets and the shadows danced with glee, 
darkness embraced her, forever imprisoning her within its ominous grasp. Holy shit! Holy fucking shit! What do we do? Tom yelled. His eyes were fixed on the body beneath him, staring at it. Her eyes rolled in the back of her skull, and her mouth extended in a horrifying, silent scream. The deep gash revealing the pulsing brain made the contents of his stomach come back out with a vengeance. What are we going to do, Marcus? whispered Lily, her voice trembling. We can't just leave the body here. The leader of the group scratched his head. Desperation was evident in his eyes. I don't know, man, but we can't risk getting caught. As they huddled in the darkness, their whispers mixed with the rustle of leaves, and the air was heavy with the scent of damp earth. Shadows danced around them, mirroring their unease. We could bury her, suggested Tom, his voice tinged with panic. Deep in the ground, where no one will find her. Good idea. I'll fetch a shovel. You two stay and watch the body. They anxiously watched as the members of their group ran further from the forest. Lily looked at Winnie, fear present in her eyes. We're, we're going to get caught. The school, her dad, everyone will know. Oh, please, Lily, just, just shut up. No one will know, he stammered. The school won't notice shit. You know that everyone ignored her. They'll forget about her, like she never existed. Instead of an answer, a gargling sound was what responded to him. Lily... He snapped his head around, and his heart sank. Lily's eyes were wide with fear and pain. Her hands clutched at her throat, desperately trying to stem the gushing flow of blood coming out of her mouth. She couldn't utter a word. Oh my god! He screamed. Lily's mouth which was wide open in agony, revealed a horrifying detail. There was no more tongue. He had no time to react as, one by one, Tom heard bones snapping inside Lily's body. Her limbs snapped and her bones cracked, bending at grotesque angles. The scene was a grotesque tableau of carnage. He watched in horror as her body folded like a crumpled piece of paper. I'm sorry! About to run off and scream, someone or something grabbed his head and made it bend backward at an uncomfortable angle, and he locked eyes with her. Her ghostly grasp froze him in place. The undead girl's grotesque appearance sent shivers down his spine. Her face, on one side, caved in from the relentless blows and her empty, lifeless eyes stared right into his soul. Tom wanted to gag, even scream, but he couldn't. The sight of her pulsing brain made him want to throw up his lunch right away. He dug his nails into the cold hands that grasped his head in a desperate attempt to free himself, but to no avail. She wouldn't budge. As his panic grew, she snapped his head at an unusual angle one last time, snuffing out his light instantly. In the eerie silence of the October night, the forest stood as a witness to a horrifying climax. 
Marcus, his heart pounding like drums of dread, approached the spot where his friends were supposed to be. He sprinted as fast as he could, all the while clutching the metal shovel in his right hand, and finally, after what felt like an eternity, he arrived. But as his gaze fell upon the darkened clearing, a shiver slithered down his spine, for no familiar faces greeted him. Instead, two twisted, crimson tongues lay discarded on the cold ground. A man sat heavily on the bench outside the coffee shop, his eyes fixed on the newspaper in his trembling hands. The headline shouted at him in bold black letters, announcing the grisly discovery that had sent shockwaves through the entire town. Three kids found brutally murdered, tongues savagely ripped out. You've been listening to Winnie No Words by Pumpkin Powder. And now, to close out our evening, I present Ghost in the Graveyard by Bill Dorsch. I'll never forget that last game of Ghost in the Graveyard. Growing up was a particularly lonely endeavor for me. My family was constantly on the move. Dad's job kept us well-fed, clothed, and kept a nice roof over our heads. The downside to this was that, being a consultant for a big company, the job usually only allowed us to stay in one place for several months, maybe a year at a time. I never went to the same school two years in a row. Mom would stay home and take care of me and the house. Eventually, it would be time for the three of us to pack up and head to the next town. As you might imagine, making friends was a futile practice. Sure, I would become friends with certain kids in class, but becoming close friends? Forget it. Even if someone had wanted to be closer than just a passing acquaintance, by the time any kind of a bond would have been forged, it would have been time to move again. It was easier to keep a distance rather than having to say heartbreaking goodbyes every few months. Being the distant kid has a tendency to bring in more than its share of woe. People, especially kids, like to lash out against others who are different, who don't fit in. When one keeps their distance, the perception is either that the person thinks they're better than everyone else or that they're too weird to have friends. Neither of those prospects invite positive interactions, and I experienced enough of the backlash to last a lifetime. That was the hardest part of starting over at a new school, in a new neighborhood, in a new town. The dread of having to go through the harassment and the stigma all over again. Sometimes, the anticipation was even worse than the actual abuse. We moved to Garnet's Pass just after my fifth grade school year ended. It was a rare move that didn't involve pulling me out of school mid-year to transfer to a new one. It had only happened one other time that I can remember, and that was after kindergarten. I was relieved that not only would I be starting at the new school at the beginning of the year rather than the middle, but it was also the first year of middle school and I could blend in with most everyone. You see, the middle school enrolled students from three elementary schools from the nearby towns. 
That meant that everyone was a stranger to at least two-thirds of the school when they started sixth grade. I was finally going to be in a somewhat similar situation as everyone else. For the first time that I could remember, I felt no anxiety waiting for classes to begin. School, however, could wait. It was summer vacation, and I planned to make the most of it. I had the security of knowing we weren't going to be moving in the middle of break, so I pledged to find myself a hobby, or a hangout, or just something. I was not going to spend the summer in my room or huddled in front of the television. I was going to take advantage of this potentially once-in-a-childhood chance to enjoy a town in which I was living. I started my trek by hopping on my bike. It was a decent bike, 10 speeds, bright blue with stubby tires to handle off-roading. I didn't really get to ride it very much as many of our homes were in big cities and my mom wouldn't let me ride around for fear of the heavy traffic. Garnet's Pass was a small town of 6,000 people. It was the perfect opportunity to get some miles on the gears. As I rode through town, I made a note of the points of interest. The diner, the gas station, the library, the ice cream shop, and the general store, among others. Being a small town, navigation was simple. Once you got downtown, you could see almost everything from any of the streets you would encounter. The skyscrapers of the big city that would imposingly block your sense of direction were far, far away from a place like this. In fact, I don't think there was a single building taller than two stories in the whole town. I had gotten my allowance the evening prior, so I decided that, being a warm, sunny day, it would be a great idea to get some ice cream. I parked my bike near the door and went into the ice cream shop. I walked over to the bar stools and took a seat. Shortly after, a server walked over. "'What'll you have, young man?' the server asked me. "'Hot fudge sundae with Neapolitan ice cream, whipped cream, and a cherry, please,' I replied. After receiving my ice cream sundae, I took a moment to look around the shop from my bar stool. The front of the store had some candy displayed in small containers, while most of the rest of the shop was reserved for seating and the bar top. Booths and tables dominated the floor plan, save for the jukebox in the corner nearest the restrooms. It was fairly quiet in the shop, except for a couple of tables near the back. A group of kids had taken up residence in these tables and were, somewhat loudly, conversing with each other while eating their various treats. I didn't pay them much mind. I was accustomed to watching such groups from afar and not getting in the middle of things. Just another bunch of kids that I'll be saying goodbye to in a couple months anyway, I thought to myself as I continued enjoying my Sunday. As I was finishing the last few spoonfuls, the server went to the back room, probably to get restock for the toppings or napkins or something. I then felt a pair of eyes on me. I turned to look and saw one of the boys in the group had walked over and was looking at me. Who are you? he asked. New in town, I replied. Where'd you move here from? he asked. I had to stop and think about that for a moment. When you've lived in nearly a dozen towns in your life, it's hard to keep track of the order in which you've lived in them. Lensington moved here a week ago, I answered. Oh, you're the ones who moved in on Jefferson Street, right? He continued. Yep. You don't talk much, do you? He asked continuing his interrogation. I guess not, 
Well, look, me and these guys over here all hang out together and we're looking for someone else to join the group. You want to hang out with us? He asked. I had to admit, this was a rarity. I'm usually never welcomed so quickly or so openly when I arrive at a new place. In fact, I was pretty sure I'd never been invited to join anything before then. Still, I knew the situation. We move in, we stay for a short time, we move out. It's just the way it was. I don't know. My family moves around a lot. I never know how long I'll get to be in one place. Probably not a good idea, I explained. Ah, uh, come on. What else are you going to do while you're here? Sit at a counter by yourself, staring at the candy? Come with us, at least for a bit. Give it a try, he implored. He made a good point. Summer had just started, and it didn't seem like there was a whole lot to do here in town. Heck, there wasn't even a public swimming pool. There were two and a half months until school started. That's a lot of candy staring. I sighed quietly, then replied, Fine, I have to get back home today, but I'll come out tomorrow, okay? Great! he exclaimed. You know the forest area at the back of the park? No, I don't even know where the park is yet, I answered. Take Patterson Street until it ends, then left on Waller's. You'll see it on the right side as you ride a few blocks. Go to the back of the park and you'll see the tree line. We get together back there in the forest around 11. Why all the way back there? I asked. Nobody goes back there, so we have the whole place to ourselves, he explained with a proud smile on his face. Ah, uh, okay. I guess I'll be there tomorrow, I confirmed. He gave a smile and a nod, then returned to his group. They all stood up and headed to the door. He was the last to exit. Halfway out the door, he turned back towards me. You got a name? He asked. Yeah, I answered. I've got three of them. Had them all my life, believe it or not. He chuckled and responded. Good one. I like your sense of humor, new kid. I'm Ricky. See you tomorrow. When I told my mom I was heading out the next morning, she insisted that I take a sack lunch with me. She quickly tossed together a sandwich, some potato chips, an apple, a juice box, and put them in a brown paper bag. She then grabbed a marker to write my name on the bag. Mom, I'm going to the park, not school. Nobody's going to mix up lunch bags, I explained. Have it your way, she conceded, and handed the bag to me. Just make sure you eat it. I don't want you coming home later complaining that you're starving and asking for a bunch of snacks before dinner. I took my lunch, put it into the zipper bag attached to the rear of my bike, and away I rode. I followed Ricky's directions, taking the roads at a steady but deliberate pace. The journey took me by some more houses like the ones in my neighborhood and through some of the outer parts of town. I noticed this was where a lot of the industrial buildings stood. I wondered if any of them were where my dad worked. Soon enough, after a brief ride through another neighborhood, I reached the park. The park was a decent size. I'd say there were roughly several dozen people there enjoying their day. Kids playing on the playground equipment, adults walking their dogs or jogging, others just sitting on the benches enjoying the weather. There was a backstop for anyone wanting to play a pickup game of baseball, a basketball hoop, and plenty of open field space for random play or running around. 
The tree line that Ricky mentioned was about a thousand feet into the park, so I rode off toward it. When I arrived at the trees, I stepped off my bike. As I briefly looked around, I noticed some looks coming from some of the patrons of the park. I didn't think much of it. I was used to getting looks when I went to new places. I walked my bike back into the forest. I had no clue what I was looking for or where I was supposed to meet these guys. I figured I would just walk in a straight line and if I didn't find them, I'd just walk in a straight line back to the park, eat my lunch, and go back home. After a few hundred feet, I could hear some rustling. The tree volume wasn't terribly thick, so visibility was fairly decent. I walked in the direction of the sound. After a few additional steps, I saw one of the kids from the diner. He was pressed up against a tree, looking around it, as if he was trying to survey the area for something or someone. Uh, hey, I said as I walked toward him. I gave a quick wave as I approached. He looked back quickly with an annoyed look on his face. Are you kidding me? He exclaimed. Confused, I was about to respond when I heard another voice. Ghost in the graveyard! The voice yelled. Suddenly, the boy behind the tree darted out from his surveillance point and began running. I could see a couple of other kids running away from us while the kid from the tree gave chase. Having very little idea what was going on, I walked in the direction of the chase, leaving my bike against a nearby tree. It didn't take too long to catch up, where the entire group had gathered together. Yeah, it was too! It was totally unfair! I heard the boy from behind the tree shout. He totally gave me away! No fair! No fair! As I approached, the whole group turned and looked at me, like a jury watching a defendant walk into a courtroom. Way to ruin the game, kid! The boy from behind the tree shouted at me as he continued ranting to the group. Ricky, he gave me away! There's no way I should have to be it again! Johnny, calm down! Ricky demanded. It's not like you had a good hiding spot anyway. The group continued focusing on me as Ricky walked up to where I was standing. Hey, what's up? Welcome to the forest, he said as he walked to the side of me and put his arm around my shoulder. He pointed over to the group and introduced everybody. Then he walked back over to the group and presented me to them. Guys, this is the rookie, he said, winking at me. Some of the kids did a half-hearted wave back or said a quiet hello. A couple didn't do anything. Johnny sneered. Why'd you even invite him, Ricky? Johnny inquired. We were fine just the way we were. Because more players make a better game, and new players make the game better. We get so used to how each other plays, it becomes predictable and boring. A new player means new strategy. At the very least, it's a little harder to get everyone if there are more people to have to catch, Ricky explained. Yeah, yeah, I still think we were fine, Johnny retorted, crossing his arms in front of his chest. Well, he's here now and he's going to play, so get used to it, Ricky asserted. He then looked over to me. So, Rookie, we play this game called Ghost in the Graveyard. You ever play before? I barely knew the rules to tag, let alone anything like this. 
Still, the fact that this was the first time I had ever been invited into a group wasn't something I cared to advertise, so I tried to play it off. It's been a long time. Can't really remember all the rules, but I'm up for it, I said. It's really easy. You see this tree? Ricky asked as he pointed to a large, dying tree with no bark on its trunk, revealing the smooth wood underneath. That's goal. One person is it and has to go be the ghost. Then, everybody else closes their eyes and counts to 100 together while the ghost goes to hide somewhere. When we're done counting, we all go off looking for the ghost. Whoever finds the ghost yells, Ghost in the graveyard! Really loud! That person is safe. Everyone else has to run back to goal before the ghost tags them. Anybody the ghost tags has to do eeny meeny miny mo to pick the next ghost. If you don't tag anybody, you gotta be the ghost again until you catch someone, okay? I nodded in understanding after the rules were explained. It seemed easy, just as Ricky had claimed. Okay, I thought to myself. Here goes nothing. We do have one other rule. New kid has to be the ghost in their first game, Ricky explained. So, seeing as you're the new kid, rookie, I hope you saw a good hiding place on your way here. He chuckled slightly and then added, Bounds are the forest line to the river. Anything past that is cheating and you have to be the ghost again. I gave a thumbs up, watched the group put their heads in their arms up against the tree, and heard them start to count. I scampered away, knowing that the hundred count was going to be over much quicker than one would figure. Being a forest... Hiding spots were certainly scarce. Ricky had made mention of a river, which I assumed was the exact opposite direction of the tree line by the park, so I headed that way. Sure enough, I soon arrived at a riverbank. There was a short ledge that descended to the rocks of the bank. It was as good as anywhere else I'd seen, so I squatted down behind the ledge. It didn't take very long for Chris, the most athletic of the group, to find me. I barely saw his eyes peek over the ledge about 20 feet over from me before I heard the pivotal, Ghost in the Graveyard! proclamation. The race to goal was on, which I lost badly. In fact, I didn't even see anyone else on my way back to the goal. Everyone was standing at the tree waiting for me as I arrived. Chris, being safe, took his time getting back, but wasn't too far behind. Sorry, man. Looks like you gotta do double duty, Chris said, with a hint of joy in his delivery. The rest of the group had a brief laugh at my expense, which I took in stride. It was later revealed that every new kid's first game was rigged. Everyone would count while one member of the group would cheat and watch where the ghost went. Then, that person would go out, find the ghost, and then the group would get a laugh, seeing the ghost scramble back to a goal that was never vacated in the first place. After my initiation game, we spent the rest of the day playing round after round of Ghost in the Graveyard. Gradually, as the afternoon passed, everybody in the group warmed up to me, even Johnny. Soon, the twilight of evening was nigh and it was time for us to call it for the day. I rode off toward home, a little dirty, a little sore, but happy with how the day had gone. I hadn't felt this included in anything for a long time, if ever. The summer went by quickly. Most days were spent quite similarly to that first one with the group. 
playing games in the forest, coming home when the sun began to set. Mom seemed to be happy that I wasn't hanging around the house all the time, moping, she called it. She'd ask about the other kids and I'd share what I knew, but I didn't really ask too many get-to-know-you questions, so the feedback was sparse. It wasn't that I didn't care about my newfound friends. I was simply more interested in what we were doing together than I was in the individual lives of everybody. Soon enough, it was the week before school was to start up. I had already gone with my mom to register and get all the information about what supplies would be needed for the classes. I started to realize that it was just a matter of time before summer would be a fleeting memory and the idea of moving would again be the prevalent agitation. As one of our last play sessions began, Ricky called everyone together by the gold tree. Okay, guys, he said, addressing all of us with the smallest hint of excitement behind his delivery. We're coming up on last weekend. You guys all set and good to go? The group responded with nods or thumbs ups. The group, that is, except for me. I had no clue what he meant. Last weekend? Nobody had ever said anything about it before. I realized it had to mean the last weekend before school started, but I didn't know what that meant or what they were preparing to do. Ricky must have noticed my look of confusion, because he turned to me and let me in on the information. Sorry, Ricky, he said. Yeah, they still called me Rookie. It had become my nickname of sorts to the group. I forgot this was your first time. Every year during the last Saturday night before school, we'd get together and play Ghost in the Graveyard. Um, alright. Doesn't seem like a big deal, I replied. The group chuckled, as if I had said something funny. That's because you don't know the whole story yet, rookie, Johnny said condescendingly, proud that he knew information that I did not. Ricky looked disapprovingly at Johnny, and Johnny backed off. Ricky then continued to explain things. You see, this isn't a normal game like we play out here. During last weekend, we take the game out of the forest. Ricky's voice then took a serious, ominous tone. During last weekend, we play in the actual graveyard, at night. Whoa, I thought to myself. No way am I ever going to be allowed to do this. As if Ricky knew what I was thinking, he said, What we do is say that we're spending the night at each other's houses. That way, there are no problems getting parents to let you leave the house. Only, instead of a sleepover, we play all night in the graveyard. Isn't this against the law or something? I asked, still skeptical that this was real and not just another joke being played on me. Nah, Chris piped in. Sheriff Robertson never goes around by the graveyard, and we're not going to hurt anything. We're just going to play ghost in the graveyard, in the real thing. Nobody will ever even know we've been there. That is, unless you squeal, rookie, Johnny cut in. Is that what you're going to do? Run and tell and screw it up for us? I'm not going to rat, I assured everybody. I just want to make sure we don't get in trouble for doing this. It'll be fine, Ricky said. Now, are you going to show or are you going to chicken out? The thought of lying to my parents about where I was going was more troubling than the thought of being in a graveyard at night. I didn't believe in ghosts or anything like that, 
but I did know what would happen if I got caught lying to my folks. Still, it seemed as though this was not the group's first time doing this, so the overnight thing must have worked as a cover story. I made my decision. I'm in. After an anxious week spent anticipating last weekend, the Saturday of the big game finally arrived. I'm not sure if it was the thrill of the impending game, the idea of getting caught, or a little bit of both, but my nerves were on edge all day. Lunch was particularly unsettling as the hour of my departure quickly approached. Hey, sport! My dad greeted me, walking into the kitchen to sit at the table. I hear you're spending the night at one of your new friend's houses tonight. Yes, sir, I replied. I'm going to my friend Ricky's house. That's really great, son, my dad said. I'm really happy you found some friends that you're finally getting closer with. I know it's not easy, us moving around so much. A lot of times, I feel bad that you aren't getting a proper childhood like I had. I want you to know how much I appreciate how good a kid you are for me and your mother. A lot of kids wouldn't be as patient as you, and it's really admirable. His words were soft, serious, and heartfelt. It made me feel even more guilty for lying to him and mom. But I couldn't back out now. I'd given my word to the group that I would be there and not tattle. Staying home now would uncover the whole plan, as my mom would inevitably call Ricky's mom, tell her I'm not coming over, and find out that Ricky's mom had no idea what my mom was talking about. It's okay, Dad, I said trying to keep an even tone in my voice so as not to tip off my nervousness. I know work is hard. Don't worry too much. I'll be fine. My dad, content, smiled and nodded. We ate the rest of our lunch in silence. It was finally time to head out. My mom packed me an overnight bag, some snacks. Ricky was specific in saying to bring enough snacks to last the night took down Ricky's address and phone number, and sent me on my way. I told her I would be home first thing in the morning, got on my bike, and rode off. As I rode toward the graveyard, I felt slightly sick to my stomach. I constantly looked over my shoulder during the ride. I was certain that I was going to see my mom or dad driving in their car behind me, just waiting to catch me. Mercifully, the ride came to a close about a half mile past the last of the houses in town. An old, run-down church marked the destination, an unpaved driveway that wound around to a large, metal gate with an unlettered archway and patches of rust forming on the finish. The gate was not locked. I hid my bike behind some bushes in the back of the church so nobody could see it, on the off chance that one of my parents drove by. I didn't see any of the other kids, so I decided to head into the graveyard and wait. It was dusk when I arrived, and the remainder of the daylight was fading quickly. The graveyard was exceptionally large, as graveyards go. There were several sprawling branches of grave sites, several rows of vaults, and a central area with benches and a large statue of an angel with its arms open, as if to invite you to embrace it. There was no denying it. It was seriously creepy being here by myself as it was starting to get dark. Thankfully, it was only a few minutes after my arrival when I heard the voices of the rest of the group approaching. 
Look at this. Rookie is the first one here. I'm impressed, Chris said as everyone advanced on the central area where I had sat down. I gotta be honest, Rookie. I didn't think you were really gonna show, Johnny admitted. He actually seemed somewhat impressed and not his usual sarcastic self. Ricky didn't address me directly, but instead addressed the group. Okay, everyone, here we go, he said. Welcome to last weekend. He paused for a moment, as if he were, perhaps, waiting for us to start clapping or something of the like. We all stood in silence, so he continued his address. We all know how this goes, except for Rookie over there, he said, pointing at me with his thumb as he spoke. We play until sunrise. Put your bags on the benches. If you need a break, the benches are the break area. No fair tipping off other players if you're on break. No taking a break if you're the next ghost. Try to keep breaks to a game or two. It's pretty lame only playing with a couple of people, and it's not fair to the ghosts to only have a few to be able to chase. I nodded in agreement. I put my bag on the bench and turned back around to face the group as Ricky continued. The boundaries are easy here. Anything inside the fence is fair play. Oh, and one more thing. No flashlights allowed. Got it all? I nodded again in response and said, Yeah, got it all. No problem. Playing in an actual graveyard was very different from playing in the forest. Obviously, the setting was creepier than a forest, though the forest could certainly be a creepy setting in its own right, given the correct circumstances, but the way the game was played was different as well. Hiding became much more tricky as the ghost. There were far fewer prime hiding spots in such an open landscape. The headstones were generally too narrow and short to hide behind, save a handful, and the ones that were big enough were the first ones scouted after the count. You see, one of the keys to Ghost in the Graveyard is to hide as long as possible. Everyone ends up more spread out and farther away from goal the longer they have to look for you. It makes it easier to pick off stragglers than if they find you right away and are only a few feet from goal. Playing here was going to be very trying for the Ghost. Staying hidden for any measurable length of time was going to be a tall order. Within the first hour, I started to realize where another big challenge of this game lay. The deeper the sun sank into the horizon, the harder it was to see for any reasonable distance. Soon, any light required the moon to be its source, a task which proved challenging for the moon to fulfill with its half-exposed face. I was thankful there weren't many clouds in the sky that night to obscure the light the moon did provide. Several times in a row, I struggled to see where I was running and ended up being stuck having to play another round as the ghost, fruitlessly trying to navigate gravestones and pathways in the darkness. The others seemed to have acquired their night eyes already, that thing that happens when you've spent enough time in the dark and can just barely see everything in that faint but distinct outline without much other light to help. Finally, and mercifully... I managed to tag someone and end my turn as the ghost. I was so tired, I couldn't even tell who it was that I tagged. Exhausted, I announced my intent to take a break. This was met with some heckling from the group. First one of the night and it's the rookie. Ha! I knew he wasn't going to make it until sunup, Johnny teased. Give him a break, Johnny, 
He had to do like 10 rounds as the ghost, Chris replied in my defense. Maybe he should learn to play better then, Johnny retorted. And maybe you should learn to chill out and just play instead of running your mouth all the time, Chris fired back. Johnny scoffed and went back to goal. Chris gave a firm pat to my shoulder, then trotted off as well. During my break, I started to notice that I could see a little bit better, which was relieving. I didn't have to worry quite as much about smacking into a headstone or busting an ankle on a tree root or something. I ate a few snacks and returned to goal once the current game had ended. The next few hours were unlike anything I had ever experienced before. The deeper into the night it got, the graveyard felt increasingly more comfortable to me. No longer was it the intimidating setting it was when I first arrived. Faded were the chilling thoughts of what dwelled beneath the dirt of the graves that we were running over, as if it were normal ground. Soon enough, I found myself becoming more bold with my hiding tactics. I was climbing trees, jumping in the middle of bushes, finding the deepest, darkest parts of the grounds that I could. Sometimes it took them a full ten minutes to find me. It was the most fun I had ever had. Eventually, the moon began to fall out of the night sky. I knew time was short, and it was almost certain I would not be here next year to do this again. It was time to pull out all the stops, leave nothing on the field, as the athletes would say. It was time for my greatest hiding spot. I had noticed earlier that the door on one of the vaults was loose. It was locked shut with a chain and padlock, but the chain had been left a bit slacked. I realized that I could squeeze in there with enough effort. I thought it would probably take them a good hour to find me there, maybe more. On my next ghost turn, I squirmed my way into the vault. It was pitch black in there, save for the sliver of moonlight that came in from the outside. I wasn't naive, though. I knew what was in here with me. Feeling around, I ran my hand over the stone sarcophagus that resided in this vault. Knowing that a deceased person lay inside was a bit rattling, but I was only a temporary visitor. I didn't figure that, after several decades, whoever this was would mind a bit of company for a few minutes. After what seemed like an eternity, I heard the door scraping as one of the others had discovered the loose door like I had. My discoverer pulled on the door with all their might. The bottom of the door even started to bend out from the effort. I braced for my inevitable exposure when I heard something else. What are you kids doing here? An adult voice exclaimed, loud enough that it probably could have been heard for a mile. Oh man, it's Sheriff Robertson! Everybody run! I heard a voice shout out. From there, I heard the sound of footsteps running. I was no fool. If I came out then, I was surely going to be taken home to my parents, and I'd have been grounded until I was old enough to move out. I decided to stay put and stay quiet. You kids are in deep trouble! The voice of the sheriff boomed. Look at this! You've even damaged this door! Do you have any respect at all? The door was pushed shut, and I heard footsteps walk away from the vault. Images of the sheriff rounding up the group and taking them home one by one ran through my mind. 
Anxiety quickly set in as I realized that even if I didn't get caught in the graveyard, I could still easily be implicated by one of the others in the group when they explained things to their parents. No, I thought. Some of them gave me a hard time here and there, but they wouldn't rat on me. No way. I didn't really believe that, but I was trying hard to convince myself. I decided to trust in my friends. Surely they'll understand why I didn't come out. They'd have done the same thing if it was them hiding, I reasoned. I waited for what seemed like hours, yet was likely only minutes. I crept up to the door and pressed my ear against it. I couldn't hear anything at all. I wondered if this was my chance. Okay, I reasoned with myself. Even if the sheriff is still around, he's likely still dealing with the others and I can at least keep away until he's gone. Then I can get on my bike and go home. I pushed the door gently, trying to be as quiet as possible. It, however, wasn't enough force. The door stayed put. I gave it some more force the second time. Again, the door resisted my efforts and refused to open. Concern began to invade as I tried again to open the door, but to no avail. I decided that I didn't care how loud I was at this point. It was time to get out of this vault. I got as far away from the door as possible and launched myself full speed towards my freedom. My efforts were rewarded with a heavy blow to my shoulder, a sharp pain, and no movement from the door. I began to panic. Hey! I began to shout. Somebody! Please come open the door! Let me out! I pounded on the door while yelling, hoping to attract attention from somebody, anybody, even the sheriff. I struck the door so hard that my hands began to scrape up from the attempts. I didn't care about the pain. I just continued hitting and running into the door, trying in vain to get even the slightest bit of moonlight to shine into my quarters. It took three days for me to finally succumb to thirst. I had no voice after the first two hours and barely any skin left on my hands after six hours. After the second day, I accepted the reality of my fate. Toward the end, I simply sat alongside whoever had been my unwilling roommate in here and tried to drift off to sleep. I came to find out that when the sheriff closed the door, he had bent the door back as best he could and then jammed a large stone underneath the bottom like a doorstop so that it would stay shut. When the caretaker came to fix it a few days later, I was so far gone that I couldn't have alerted him even if I had heard him outside the door. He had no idea that the vault contained an extra occupant. The group never knew where I was hiding, so they weren't any help in finding me either. They never found my body, or my bike. I became another missing persons case. A face for the side of a milk carton or the bulletin board at the grocery store. Mom and Dad never fully got over my disappearance, as one could imagine. They still live in town, assumingly in the hopes that I return someday. I suppose, in a way, I already have. 
It's about the end of summer again. It's been an odd year, getting used to this new existence. Just like the previous year, the group is getting ready for last weekend. They've decided to play in the graveyard again, despite getting caught last year and me disappearing on top of that. I'm quite excited about it. They're going to be in for a real surprise when they find out who the ghost in the graveyard really is. You've just heard Ghost in the Graveyard by Bill Dorsch. Well, everyone, that wraps up our broadcast evening. I hope that all of you are somewhere a bit more comfortable than a dank old mausoleum, but if that's your thing, I'm not here to judge. In any case, I'd like to thank both Pumpkin Powder and Bill Dorsch for their stories tonight, and I'd also like to thank all of you for joining me this evening. I don't know about you, but where I live, we're starting to notice that the days are getting dark a little earlier, and the temperature is cooling a bit. We're starting the slow slide into Halloween season, my friends, and I can't think of a better way to spend it than reading some good old horror stories. Be sure to join us next week at this same time and place for more tales to chill your bones. In the meantime, listeners, stay spooky. You've been listening to the Horror Hill Podcast, a production of Chilling Entertainment and the creative team at Chilling Tales for Dark Nights. Tonight's episode was hosted and narrated by yours truly, Eric Peabody. Original music provided by Eric Peabody and Nikki McSorley. Finalization by N.M. Brown and S.K. Brown. Got a terrifying tale of your own that you'd like performed? Email it to us at natalie at chillingtalesfordarknights.com to have your work considered for future production. Seeing as how we're all living in a technological nightmare of our own devising, I'll ask you to follow Chilling Tales for Dark Nights on social media and upvote, subscribe, and hit the bell notification icon if you're listening to this on YouTube. Not only will you have appeased the dark gods of cyberspace, but you'll be kept in the loop as we prepare more terrifying content. If you'd like access to uninterrupted horror, free of ads, and these annoying bookend segments, might I recommend signing up for our Patreon? You'll get access to hundreds of episodes of this show, as well as everything else from the other programs in the Chilling Tales for Dark Nights cabal. That means all of Otis Cheery's Scary Stories Told in the Dark, Drew Blood's Dark Tales, Paul J. McSorley's Fear from the Heartland, and more. It's a veritable smorgasbord of horrific delights. As for me personally, I'm on most social media sites as Viking Guitar or Viking Guitar Productions. I'm always on the lookout for new stories to narrate and new music projects to mix or master. If that's of interest to you, feel free to reach out and we can talk turkey. Also, I will be back next week with more terrifying tales to keep you up all night. If darkness is what you're after, listener, your search is over. Yet let it be known, you haven't found the darkness. The darkness has found 
Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take, whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality. It can be hard just to know where to start, but now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com.